Welcome to this, the ARC360 podcast brought to you in association with BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SNG Response, and Sherwin Williams, as well as our partners, Aztec, the Green Part Specialist in DASA, Prasco UK, and the Innovation Group. Great session coming up for you today. Enjoy. Welcome along everyone and in this episode we catch up with Richard Smith of Birmingham based RS Motors, a multi-brand vehicle manufacturer approved repairer. Richard provides us with an insight into the business and takes us on a bit of a journey explaining how his love for fixing things all began in his younger years modifying his grifter and then later BMXs. As would naturally occur he then later moved on to the now modern classics of Escorts and Sierra Cosworths. Richard then tells us how the business has developed over the years continuously investing in its capabilities to align with its VM partners and how he's now playing a role in supporting the next generation of automotive specialists. Richard also reveals his Bear Grylls type adventurer alter ego and suggests that self-driving cars could cause him a bit of a headache. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, so uh, welcome along everybody. Richard, how goes it my friend? Very well, thank you Mark. Yes, thanks for the invite to the podcast. Uh, Privileged to come on. Absolute pleasure. No, good to catch up with you. And uh, our paths have obviously crossed over the years, but I don't think we've ever actually probably sat down and had a proper conversation. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Yes. Yeah. That would be great. uh, Hopefully we'll get the chance sooner rather than later. (laughs) Absolutely. So first and foremost, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and RS Motors and and kind of how did you, you know, get to where you are today in the industry? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Truth be told, luck, hard work, determination, chances, like probably a lot of other people. Yeah. I mean, it's quite strange thinking about it. My journey probably started very, very, as a youngster, I remember actually, as you've probably seen on my post recently on LinkedIn, we evolved and started doing customization. Thinking about it, I remember I had, I wanted a red rally grifter. I'm sure there are some people listening to this that remember the grifter. Didn't we all? Didn't we all, Richard? (laughs) Yeah, I wish I still had it. Having (laughs) said that, I defaced it, hence my mentioning it. So I wanted the red one. My father could only get me a blue one. And I remember by New Year's Day, I'd actually half stripped it and defaced it, painting it satin black with aerosol tins that I found in the garage. (laughs) Oh, your your father must have been so proud at the time. Yeah, I do remember his face. It was uh, after the purchase, me defacing it, but it looked good to me anyway. (laughs) And then went on to what other people may remember, also the the rally burner. I soon realised there was a gold plastic coating on my rally burner, to which I picked off. I think I was probably one of the first ones in the neighbourhood to have an unrecognisable rally burner in chrome. And then I purchased from a friend of mine some Skyway wheels. Oh, wow. You're going to be the envy of this of the podcast listeners right now. Yeah, apart from I've sold them. So hindsight's a wonderful thing. <laughs> but yeah, so that's where I started. And then I, I went uh, onto my first vehicle, a 1.3L Escort, which I'd saved hard for, paid £800 for it. And my first insurance policy, to which I can still remember the insurer, but I won't mention it, was £838. So it was £38 more to, per- to insure the vehicle than it was to purchase it. I soon set about that. If my memory serves me correctly going back a couple of years at least, was Sunburst Red, the vehicle. I wanted an XR3i in, I think the colour was Rosso Red. So I went round all the local scrapyards, etc., 
don't think they were referred to as salvage yards back then, but it was the start of my career. Found myself some pet, pepper pot alloy wheels, a left-hand wing mirror. I think my vehicle didn't, or was it right-hand? The vehicle wasn't very well specced. It had no cigarette lighter. It only had one wing mirror. By the time I finished, it looked like an XR3i in Rosso Red. Sold that, purchased another vehicle, went from there. I then got onto a Nova, uh, which soon became Violet Surprise, a PPG colour. I started in a little lockup. One vehicle would fit in that lockup. All my mates liked the colours I was doing, the funky paint jobs I was doing, and the rest is history. I'm boring you now, but there we are. We're now a two-site operation. We have the standalone Ford Accident Repair Centre, and we also have a multi-manufacturer-approved centre, both on the same street, by the way. That's where we are. And did you, anywhere along that kind of journey in those early days did you have an aspiration to sort of grow and develop the business to become what you are today or was it just a case of I'm just having fun doing this even two years three years into it if you'd have told me I was going to be where I was today I'd have said I'll have some of what you're drinking please (laughs) no never since a child been on motocross bikes wanted fast cars It started as the opportunity to drive fast cars, fast motorbikes and customise them. That's where I started. Yes, I would never have dreamt of getting to where I was today from a one-car lock-up. Self-taught, by the way, from back in the days of P38, if anyone else remembers that in the industry. (laughs) I'm nodding my head because, yeah, there's been a bit of experience this end of working on cars and sheds and things. But Yeah, yeah. Good on you. Well, fantastic story. And I love that tale. And uh, yes, probably like like me, you're kicking yourself now that you ever sold that rally burner because they're, they're worth a few quid now. I'd have mine framed in the living room, I think, if I could. Not to mention the amount of RS turbos I've owned, limited edition Escort XR3i tennises and Cosworths and everything I still wish I'd owned. <laughs> but I suppose like many, uh, Mark, I had to sell them to move on. Exactly that. Exactly that. And we do, don't we? Hindsight's a wonderful thing. So now today, again, you've already referenced it, but you're very much a kind of VM approval driven business. So tell us a little bit more about what this business model entails, the challenges and opportunities and, and how kind of you know recent times have impacted, really. OK, well, yeah, I mean, um, it's kind of my the start of where what got me here was um, I had a friend of mine that worked at, I won't mention it, but a particular dealership within Birmingham. He was a valetor and the GM there was having issues with people doing his paintwork. We were invited to do a job. I remember a very assertive chap, but he asked me to do a vehicle. I nearly mentioned the name then. But we did a, back in, in the Fred in the Shed days, dare I say, sorry if I insult anybody in saying that, but um, I got this vehicle in and painted it. And then I've had, I delivered it back to the dealership, my very, very, very first job. This guy said, he phoned me up and he was screaming and shouting, effing and jeffing down the telephone, said, what have you done to this car? I said, why, why, why? And he said, well, I've just had a 300-point inspection done on it by an RAC chap, and he's just told me that it's factory paintwork. So that was amazing news for me. But, yeah, so back then I wanted to align myself with dealerships and onto manufacturer approvals. I think right back from the early days it was a a hope to, you know, have the ability to to access training methods. As I say, I was self-taught. So I just saw it as a way forward 
to to learn, shall I say, in the correct way, have the correct mindset. That's where it kind of started. So when it comes to the pros and cons, I think it's always been a vision. I've never had a crystal ball, but I've always been in the hope that it's becoming, it's coming to fruition faster by the looks of things where, you know, the hope was always the manufacturer may get first notification and then it would come into an approved repairer having a you know, the ability to carry out the repairs. You know, that's one of the positives I saw, I think, from an early time. I think one of the negatives is we do hold kite mark, but one of the negatives is it costs that much to invest in the manufacturer training specific repair methods, the units we need to connect to the vehicles, various laptops, specialist, sorry if I'm repeating myself, but equipment training and tooling, it squeezes profitability over just being, not being derogative, but having kite mark. You have to go above and beyond, really. I suppose, you know, how have, and again, how have in recent times impacted, you know, we've, we've obviously talked to many different uh, corners of the industry on this, uh, this very podcast. Nobody's been immune from any kind of impact, really, of this. So from a, an approvals perspective, VM approved type body shop, what have you kind of seen from your side of things? Because we work very hard with the dealerships, usually, uh, that we have relationships with, we regularly keep in contact in contact with service desks, you know, service centres, people going in wanting quotes on scrapes, knocks, you know, and then obviously insurance jobs. That just completely disappeared. It's still not back today because, you know, it, it, you know, most people are in survival mode. The dealerships where our relationships were are also in survival mode and they're not really seeing people face to face. So it's impacted heavily, really, on the ability to work directly with dealerships. Yeah, They're not yeah. selling vehicles either because we also do the trade work. So one of an area, like many people, we have a dedicated smart repair facility or fast track, should I say, facility. We used to get regular calls from dealerships who, oh, Fred's just backed into the wall in the Valley Bay. It's got to go out at five o'clock. Can you get it done, please, Richard? That's gone. It's heavily impacted on all types of volumes in all types of areas, really. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and um, so on the subject of recent times, and obviously that's how the business itself has been impacted. But, you know, how are you, how's yourself, um, importantly, and, and the team shaping up? And how do you think, you know, has that adversity kind of changed the business, brought you closer, perhaps, in some way, strange way, shape or form? It goes without saying, 150% we've really locked in together because when, when the announcement came, we do a fair amount for a, a local constabulary. And we also, back at the start, had so we had a lot of their vehicles on site. So our priority, and we also do a bit of NHS work, our priority was stay there and get those vehicles back on the road. I mean, I'm, I'm waffling on a little, I suppose, but no, we, we all team together and, you know, regular meetings throughout the day, stay safe, let's get these cars done, is everybody okay? So yeah, it's really pulled us. We were a tight team anyway, to be honest, we talk a lot, but yeah, 150% definitely pulled us together. That's great. And I think that's one of the, you know, one of the real positives to come out of this that we hear across the industry from, from many different businesses is how that people element has kind of played uh, such a positive role and how, you know, the good side has, has come amongst uh, out amongst teams and individuals, really. So, um, so no, brilliant, brilliant here. So, so whilst on the people subject, I see you're involved in School of Thought which looks to promote the automotive industry to young people. I saw you did a, a LinkedIn video a couple of weeks back just about your involvement there. So tell us more about why you got involved with you know, such a great initiative. 
apprenticeships, uh, as we all know, I don't need to tell anybody why they're important. So I won't go down that road because we all know. Personally, my journey could have gone differently. I, I grew up in an area where it could have gone different. My personal view is I'd like to go back to those areas and help show the light, educate people on, you know, that you do not need to go certain ways. And, you know, if you work hard, if you concentrate, you can come into this great industry. So it's a few of the people I grew up with probably didn't get the best job. So I want to get back into areas and show them you don't need to go the wrong way, where the right way is really, and, and tell my story. Good on you. Very admirable thing to do as well. And, you know, it's kind of easy once you once you leave that behind you to kind of forget about it. So to actually, you know, make sure you are checking in on the real world, so to speak, is, um, you know, what a great thing to do. And yeah, and I think, you know, for, for, you know, young people, any kind of form of guidance and seeing what you've done from where you started, you know, how the, how the business has shaped up and now where you are in the industry is, is a great thing, super inspirational for people. So, yeah, fair yeah. play to you, Richard. I, I was involved with another or am involved with another organisation, which is quite high-profile, high that does charity work. Again, yeah, I do that because of wanting to give back. And we walked we walk to the peak of Snowdonia, seems like a lifetime ago now, but with children from the area that I grew up. And it was, I felt privileged, shocked and proud when one of them said to me, Richard, so after about an hour, what, what is it you do then, Richard? And I said, well, I actually work for a company called RS Motors. And they went, oh, do you? Yeah. You fix my aunt's car, my sister's car. Da, 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 da. Oh, we see those uh, courtesy vehicles everywhere. And they said, so what's your job? And I said, well, I actually own it. Well, I won't say what they said, but they didn't believe I owned it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm hoping to be able to have that impact on, with the school of thought, really. Yeah, what a great journey to encourage. So good on you. I like it. So again, from, from you personally, and, and I suppose RS Motors, now I've noticed you, you're a lot more active on social media than perhaps I'd previously noticed before. Now that's, you know, excuse me if I haven't uh, seen such activity oh, from yourself. But 100% right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, lots more going on. Stunning paint finishes. I've seen cars, motorbikes, you know, it all looks great. Restoration projects. So Tell us more about what is behind this higher profile on social media. Oh, what are we seeing? Part of a diversified model? Are you thinking about different things now as a business? I think I've already slightly touched on this. It's what we built RS Motors on customization. Like I say, I took my grifter apart. I don't even think I was 10. So obviously current times, I do wish to raise our profile. People moving into Birmingham, other body shops are moving in. Groups seem to be investing in more sites. I think as an independent, we've got something to offer, especially as with the manufacturer approvals we have. So yeah, just raising the profile, I just want to work closer with people to offer the service we can. But we have got some exciting things in the pipeline, which if you've been looking at the profile on LinkedIn you'll be seeing very very shortly in fact I think if this goes out in a couple of days time it may have already happened but yeah that's all about really just uh, wanting to forge new new relationships existing relationships and you know what truth be told I'm proud of my team. I'm proud of we all have a skill set in this industry. I think we're artists. I don't think, I mean, to the wider audience, again, thinking about the pro, you know, thinking on my feet on social media, I think we are skilled individuals and I think we're 
undervalued. I do not mean that in 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 monetary terms. I mean uh, the skill within our industry. I think it needs recognizing outside of the box. So I am fortunate to uh, rub shoulders with all sorts of you know people and professions, and it's to show them really what we can do in our industry is another reason really. I think my, like I say back to my team. I think we're awesome. Some artists uh, are known to be better than others. Are you referring back to your grifter again? <laughs> uh, yeah, my satin black grifter. <laughs> that was meant to be gloss, but we, no. Um, but no, I think I think you're absolutely right when you look at the skill set in this industry, and I think it's probably been well documented. You know, it, technicians now are way above and beyond where anyone, probably external to the industry, would would perceive they need to be uh, because yes. of what they're faced with on vehicles. Having been in a booth a couple of times and tried my luck, and it literally was trying my luck. You know, you then see somebody else do it who who can really do it, and my God, it's yeah, you watch them in awe, and it's just incredible. So. It's a, it's an amazing skill set, and again, to be able to apply that to different sort of parts of, of the world of the automotive space and beyond, I think yeah, why why wouldn't you? And do you think I suppose it's quite interesting, really, in in the sense that you know we we're kind of talking about something that you know you experienced as a younger person modifying things and playing around with things. You know, do you, do you think that's come full circle? We certainly see you know now classic cars are increasing appreciating in value. That individual kind of element, people really crave that. Yes, again, yeah, there's plenty of vehicles we've done. I, I remember the one of the, the last E-types we did, I started looking at the classic cars and I thought, well, because the guy said to me, Richard, the, I, I've been quoted X. And I went, okay, well, we'll do this on a time slot basis. You'll trust me. We'll clock on it. We'll use the BMS system. Well, body shop management system. I won't say which one, but we'll do it on a time clock basis because I've done a lot of these, but I'm not sure where we need to be price-wise, especially on this particular model because he did want it pristine. Anyway, we did the job and he said, oh, it's the most of this guy does a lot of them. He said, it's the most I've actually had to pay for one to be done. And I said, okay, no problem. Two weeks later, the classic car show was on in Birmingham. So I went into the classic car show and realized that actually the quality that we did on that vehicle far superior to probably 95% of the classic cars in there. I don't know why I went down that road of thought, but yeah, it's um, it's a different market. And again, with the still skill set, I think if you look at the classic car market and jobs that are being done, a lot of them are substandard. Interesting thoughts. All right. So this industry is made up of businesses of all shapes and sizes. Um, you yourself, independent, dual site business. What do you believe are, are the benefits of your kind of business setup? It depends on, on which angle we're coming from, really. I suppose the benefit of dealing with RS Motors is the book stops with us at what a couple of sites, you know. So if there's an issue, we'll we'll deal with it. Personal service, I suppose, the smaller we are. I suppose you could say with insurer partners, whichever which way, they've got one touch point if they go to a group. You know, how many sites can they touch? We're close to the job. It's difficult to say, really. I've never really thought about that question. We can offer a very good smile and a good service. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe you me, that accounts for an awful lot, I think. So, uh, and it is always interesting. It's, you know, it's not saying that one model is better than the other. I'm always just intrigued as to kind of, you know, if that, you know, what is that model? What are the benefits, you know, as a business? Is that the kind of the ideal setup for you? Or is there a inkling in the back of your mind that actually it wants to be three, four, five, six sites? You know, how do you see the future, yeah. I suppose? Something like many others I've always considered, 
just very difficult to get the team around you. So you want to be known to do the job correctly. You've got the correct team around you. Again, with school of thought, you know, if I had the right team around me, like many others obviously have, because they are allowed, you know, they do go across different areas. I'd never say never. It's a challenge for sure. Do I want a challenge of 12 sites or more? Or do I want to be happy doing what we're doing already, which I am really. There's nothing wrong with happiness. No. <laughs> it's always fascinating to get people's different perspectives on that one, really. So, yeah, fair play. So so what do you think are the sort of greatest challenges and, importantly, more importantly, perhaps, opportunities that the repair sector faces now? And, you know, what, what's kind of coming around the corner? Again, I'm going to say probably same answers as most people, and that's, you know, a possible skill shortage. It's a challenge to keep on with the specialist equipment required to carry on with the vehicle repairs. Obviously, EV is coming. We've been into EV since the... It didn't even hit the streets, which was a bit of a shame, but quite quirky Renault Twizy and the EV Kangoo. I thought those were just going to go crazy, to be honest. And I remember being on those training days and that was a very, very long time ago. So, yeah, we all know EV is going to be a challenge, but with the skill set we've got and the training and the equipment, we'll, we'll deal with it. We all know we're, we're, we're an industry that deals with it. Well, the past 12, 18 months, I think, has, has proven that, hasn't it, really? Like the rest of the world, we've adapted. We're still here. We're still smiling. Other challenges... Profitability, I'm just waffling. We say the same thing. Everyone's going to give you the same answers, unfortunately. There's nothing wrong with profitability, that's for sure. It's what we do in business. So, uh, so yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, as you say, the industry has proved how resilient it is in recent times. Challenges like no other. Obviously, a lot of that has been based on the kind of the volume situation. And I suppose, you know, one of the key things is everyone wants that crystal ball to say, right, volumes will be X at a certain period. Now, nobody can kind of currently forecast that. So uh, so we're still kind of, you know, working our way through it all, really. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. EVs is the massive talking point across the entire automotive sphere at the moment. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, how much that does kind of really take off in the coming 12 18 months well i think we all know it's uh, it's going to take off quite well possibly the legislation's coming in absolutely and the intent is there from all the vehicle manufacturers so yes we shall see yeah. so if there was one thing you could overnight and this is a you know easy question to ask harder to do obviously but overnight really add benefit uh, to your business what would it be and why I'm going to sound like a stuck record, I think, on that one. I would like to add more profitability into my business. And that's not to be selfish. That's to make it easier for us to invest in our facility, ongoing training, again, equipment. But do you know what? Mainly, so it would be easier for me to reward the team for their hard work especially in the current circumstances. And going forward, again, I tend to repeat myself a lot, but with skilled people, I think we all need to um, be in an e a better, easier position to reward our team. That probably is in a monetary value, but not necessarily monetary value. If we had more money to invest in team building days, activities. I mean, I'm, I talk for myself because other people may be privileged out there where they've got money to invest and treat their team. But do you know what? I don't believe that for one minute, really. 
and it's a competitive you know it's a competitive space out there isn't it you know we're not kind of getting pre-assigned people for the collision repair industry it's people are just out there who can apply their skill sets to any industry that they want to walk into so you're absolutely right there's got to be that flag in the sand that says hey you know we're over here and this is why we're we're attractive and um yeah it's, it's an interesting sort of battleground to be played out really i do not do much investigation but again school of thought our industry somebody in it who's producing software look at your youtubers today the money they're earning i don't want to upset anyone again but football players i do not support football look at the players if i employed somebody to put paint on a car and they missed the car <laughs> When I, I paid the this same is amount of money that a football player paid, they wouldn't be employed for very long, would they? <laughs> now, this is very true. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. There are cases, instances out there that, you, yeah, you do kind of start to draw parallels, don't you, with, you know, with your own environment, with your own industry that you know. Yes. And, uh, and sometimes it does make you scratch your head. But, hey, they're out there doing it and fair play to them. Yep. <laughs> All right. So wonderful stuff. So that kind of brings brings the end to the more formal side of the podcast. Not that it's ever been formal, but hey. And so we come on to the quick fire question rounds now. So these are ones that always give us a real insight into uh, into people. So, Richard, what is one thing many people might not know about you? Oh, I'd like to do a bit of sales tip with that question, if that's possible. Um, so some people may not know I actually own a firearms dealership. Okay. Yeah, if if um, I'll try and say this correctly with a, a brummy accent, but rural sports. Yeah, there we go. Maybe okay. people do not know I can sell them some very nice prestigious guns if they wish. Well, okay, there you go. Uh, yes, it's all right. So yeah, didn't know that. There you go. What would your alter ego be doing as a career right now? Today, so in the summer months, can I choose two? Yeah, go on, I'll let you. So I think today I would be a skipper sailing a yacht round islands, I think. Nice. Taking nice. people out fishing and whatnot and from destination to destination. Come the winter months, 100% I would be a skiing instructor. The adventure lifestyle, I can see where this is heading. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah well, that's for another podcast, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> what's the best bit of business advice you've ever heard, seen or received? It's unfortunately, earlier I just quickly went through a few of the past interviews you've done and Paul Cunningham stole it, unfortunately. Oh, Paul Um, Cunningham. Yeah. So he beat me to it. So uh, I've always been a strong believer, and we do. We, We only treat people at RS Motors as we wish to be treated ourselves. Very nice too. Can't say much more than that, can you? No. I love that one. I like that one. So here we go. And this is the one that often kind of you know splits the nation self-driving vehicles for you yes or no and why again can we have a yes and a no oh gee you're the same as everyone (laughs) else so so undecided on this one go on okay so no on one hand because I, I like cars especially fast ones so I always want the ability to be able to drive around a racetrack very fast because it's not legal on the roads. But then when you say this splits the nation, this is going to show you how irresponsibly minded I could be. So I'm going to say yes, because a real pet hate of mine is after an evening at the local pub, I hate waiting for taxis. What would it be like to be able to come out, jump in the car and say, take me home? 
I'm sure there's many people who kind of, if that day ever arrives, wouldn't it be a great thing? Yeah, for everyone. But there you go. So, all right, wonderful stuff. Well, Richard, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. It's been great to catch up. Yes. No, thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure. And, uh, it's great to hear how the business is kind of evolving and what you're up to there at RS Motors. And well, as you've already kind of indicated, by the time this podcast goes out, there might have been something else uh, exciting has Very come to possible. fruition. Yeah. All right, buddy. Great to speak to you, mate. Take care. Yeah. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. So there you have it, Richard Smith of RS Motors, and what a great insight into hobby-turned-successful business, and I suppose most importantly, how that business continues to evolve. Now, Richard does hint during the interview at a new business venture, which uh, at the time wasn't live, but has now been officially launched, which is liquiduspro.co.uk, so a new paint protection system. Go check it out. Any details, obviously, drop Richard a line. We wish Richard all the very best with RS and, of course, the new venture and look forward to catching up with him again very soon. Please do check out our corporate partners and partners. So BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams and Aztec, the Green Park Specialists in Darsa, Prasco UK and the Innovation Group. Many thanks for joining us for this episode of the ARC 360 podcast. Keep safe, take care everybody and we hope to see you soon.